Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. I hope you guys are having a fantastic week. I know I'm having a fantastic week sitting down here in Key West, living large, having a good time, working my butt off. I'll tell you what, we got a lot of stuff going on with the fund. We got all kinds of different things going on. We're working through some zoning situations. We're working with the contractors, having conversations with them. We're getting ready to start raising capital again. Speaking of which, if you're not part of the Cashflow Guys mailing list, then maybe you need to be. Get over to CashflowGuys.com. Make sure you opt in and jump on our mailing list. We have a webinar coming up here in a very short period of time. So make sure you get on my mailing list. That's way out. That's the only way you're going to get notified this thing's going on. And if you are an accredited investor, which means you're making more than $200,000 a year, if you're single or $300,000 a year, if you're married, that means you're an accredited investor or you have assets in excess of $1 million, then you got to make sure you're on that webinar. We're going to be talking to you about our new investment opportunity come up in Tarpon Springs. I'm excited. You should be excited. And I will see you guys there. Now let's get started with it. Now, the high interest investing is what we're talking about this week. And of course, everybody knows it's the top of the news. Interest rates are higher than they've ever been in a long time, right? The interest rate right now, as I just looked today, and today is uh, August 24th, 2023, 30-year fixed rate mortgage is sitting at 7.23% as the average rate. That's for mortgage. That's the highest it's been since 2001. But don't worry, guys. They were a lot higher, a lot higher than they are now. In fact, in the 1980s, and more specifically, in 1981, the average interest rate for a 30-year mortgage was 16.63%. That is more than twice as high as it is now. Again, that was back in 1981. Well, it was a much different place back then. Yes, houses didn't cost as much as they do now, but still, it put a hurting on people. I remember 1981. I was 11 years old. My mom was a real estate broker, and I remember when those interest rates took off like that and they got that high that people stopped taking bank loans. It must have sucked to have been a mortgage banker back then, but they stopped taking bank loans because it just didn't make sense. It wasn't affordable. And back then, the news wasn't really telling us that this was a short-term thing. I don't remember the news back then. And admittedly, I had to go look that up and to make sure I got that accurate. But yeah, that's true. They weren't, they, they really weren't quite certain how long those interest rates were going to stay in place. So people had to pivot if they planned on buying houses. What I want you guys to know, though, and there's a lot of confused information out there in the news, and, and everybody's an expert on YouTube, but I want to break it down real quick so you're clear on what's why interest rates, because if you don't understand the why, then it's going to help you answer some questions and probably put you in a position to do better deals down the road. So here are the, rate, the reasons why the mortgage rates are so high right now. First of all, the Federal Reserve is who is raising interest rates. And understand, even though it says federal, that's not the government. Okay, the Federal Reserve basically is a, a group of chairmen that are that are not government employees, and they're the ones that are ha have control over the Federal Reserve. They set the rates. Now, the federal funds rate is the rate they they basically are manipulating right now, and that doesn't directly correlate to the mortgage interest rate. Okay, so I want to make sure you understand that. So they said, well, if they come out tomorrow and say Jerome Powell raised rates by one percent. That doesn't mean that that 7.23% figure I gave you is going to be 8.23 tomorrow morning. That's not how it works. Uh, that The rate that they're raising is the Fed funds rate. Now, unfortunately, a lot of residential mortgages are tied to the federal funds rate. So when there are fluctuations in the federal funds rate, it does impact indirectly uh, mortgages. Not all the time. 
most of the time. But here's a little secret for you. It doesn't usually affect commercial lending rates. It doesn't always affect every interest rate out there. So make sure you know what you're talking about before you panic. It may not affect you at all. And a lot of people right now in the commercial space are moving and doing deals, figuring out how to get good long-term fixed rate uh, commercial interest rates that are significantly less than 7.23%. So think about that. If you're going to buy a house to flip and you don't like a 7.23% or maybe your credit is challenged and it's 8, 8, 9%, 10%, whatever it may be. What if you bought more than one house to flip and you did all three of those on a commercial loan? So maybe it'd be a good idea for you to reach out to lenders besides residential lender markets and find out, hey, what do I need to do to qualify for a resident for a, a, a commercial loan? Here's my investing strategy. How can I get commercial paper on that or commercial lending? And what, what is a term sheet? You know, can I get 30 year terms? I can tell you right now the answer is probably going to be no, but you can often get 20, 25 year terms. Yes, you got to have some skin in the game. Generally speaking, commercial loans want you to have somewhere between uh, 20 to 40% in the game, but they're also more amenable to things like seller participation, maybe cash raised from outside sources, second mortgages. There's a lot of different ways with a commercial loan, you have more flexibility to structure a more creative deal. Now, residential underwriters, they don't like it when the seller holds a second. They used to not care 15, 20 years ago, they didn't care. But these days, they're getting tough. I've had a real tough time getting those through underwriting. You know, and what I'm saying there is, let's say you're going to buy a $300,000 house and the seller's going to hold a carry back a $100,000 mortgage. Well, the bank has a first position lien for 200,000 and the seller's going to carry a second position lien for 100,000 to make the deal happen. Well, in a lot of cases, these bank underwriters on these residential loan products, they don't want any part of that. Um, so they'll shoot you down. Sometimes you have to do get creative. And one of the ways you can do that is record that seller finance note the day after closing. Date that note the day after closing. Record that note the day after closing. Um, you always want to make sure you record it to protect the seller. Uh, if the seller doesn't, Matt doesn't care, the seller doesn't care whether it's recorded, then so be it. Maybe you'll give the seller a second on a different asset. That's another strategy. For example, let's say you've got more that you own one more than one piece of real estate and the seller is holding back a mortgage. I don't know. Let's say this is the same example, $100,000 seller held mortgage. It doesn't have to be recorded against the, the property that you're buying. Let's say, I don't know, you own, a, you own another apartment building, you own a duplex and that duplex either doesn't have a mortgage on it or you know, the seller doesn't mind. They already agreed to be in second position. They don't have to be again in second position on the house that you're buying from them. You could put that second position or third position, whatever is mortgage on any uh, piece of real estate. And it works the same way as if it was on the original house. That may help you keep the deal clean uh, as it relates to the, to the lender. So those are options that are out there. You know, find a mortgage broker that's creative and can help you kind of weave through the situation. Um, but understand that the federal, the reason why the federal reserve has been raising interest rates is to combat inflation. Now inflation, you think mortgage rates are at a all time high and inflation's at a 40 year high. The fed's trying to bring that down by making it more expensive to borrow money because when money is cheap to borrow, what happens? Everybody borrows it. And when everybody borrows it, that stimulates spending. And when they stimulate spending, that's how we start having price inflation. Add to that supply chain issues through COVID and all the other things that go on. 
it puts us in this uh, the uh, situation where everything is just so inflated, it prices are out of control. So in order to stabilize prices and, and reduce inflation, the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates, hoping that you and I stop buying stuff. Well, guess what? It didn't stop. They kept raising rates, kept raising rates, kept, kept raising rates, and the people don't seem to be stopping buying. The Americans, I guess we're spoiled and entitled. We're just borrowing ourselves into into the next millennium or something. So that's why if, if the American people don't stop with the lavish spending and the government doesn't stop with the lavish spending, the Fed is going to continue to raise interest rates until they can get inflation down to around 2%. Um, that's a little bit of a moving target, but they want to see about 2% year over year price inflation. And that tells them that the economy is stable. Well, guys, buckle up. It may be a while before we get there. Um, we could very well go to the extreme opposite of inflation and wind up in a depression or deflation. That's not good either, but I'm not, that's not really part of this episode. Okay. So when the Fed raises interest rates, obviously, as I said, it makes it more expensive for banks to borrow money from the Fed. Well, they, of course, pass that on to consumers in the form of higher interest rates on loans, not just mortgages, all loans, credit cards, personal loans, whatever it may be. You got to understand that another thing that's making this worse is the housing market in most places in the country is very hot, red hot. There is not enough housing supply. I'm not quite sure why that is. I wish I could get a good solid answer on that. I mean, I realize that in Florida, everybody's migrating to Florida. That makes sense to me. People are moving to the state of Florida. There's not enough housing already here to accommodate all the people. But what about, I don't know, Oklahoma? I don't think there's a mass migration of people suddenly waking up in the morning going, you know, I want to smell cow shit tomorrow morning and move to Oklahoma. I don't think that's a thing. So I want to know why is there a housing shortage in Oklahoma? And I don't really think it's all the immigration people coming across the borders and whatnot. I'm sure that doesn't help. But I don't think that's the solo cause. So I'm not quite sure on that one. And that'd be a great topic you want to research. Try to figure that one out. The housing market being so hot, there's so much demand for homes that drives up the home prices. The reason why the Florida real estate market hasn't crashed yet is that the whole world wants to move to Florida. Think about it. We're a free state. Uh, you know, the weather's amazing until there's a hurricane. But it's generally warmer here. We don't get snow drifts. We don't have a lot of the drama. We don't have earthquakes. We don't have all that crap that goes on in a lot of places in the country. I mean, good God, guys. I was spent this summer out in Yellowstone National Park, Wyoming. There were mornings I got up in July. It was like 30 degrees outside. That's just surreal to me. So a lot of folks want to move to Florida. People want to move to Tennessee. That's another state. Uh, North Carolina, South Carolina. The people are moving to Georgia. Uh, people from California are moving to Texas, which is forcing the people from Texas to move to Colorado. So there's a lot of moving going on, a lot of transactions happening. Every time a house sells, it goes up in value, usually, at least that's the ideal situation. And when home prices go up, it means the borrowers need to borrow more money to buy a home, which then drives up the interest rate on the mortgage. Remember, we talked about supply and demand. The stock market also, I don't know if you guys are stock people, I'm not, but you can't help but notice the stock market is all over the place. One minute you're rich, the next minute you're poor. 
those of you that are full-time stock people, God love you. I don't know how you, you can handle that and avoid alcoholism at the same time. The stock market's been volatile in recent months. This is also contributing to higher mortgage rates. When the stock market is volatile, it makes investors nervous, and they'll be less likely to invest in long-term assets such as mortgages. You guys remember hearing about mortgage-backed securities. What they did, how that works, is that when mortgage brokers go out and make a bunch of mortgages, put them together. They sell them on what they call the secondary market. Stockbrokers then and hedge funds package up these mortgages and they sell them as what they call mortgage-backed securities. These things are traded on Wall Street. So when things go weird in the housing market, it affects the stock market and vice versa. This can drive up interest rates on mortgages because investors want a higher return on their investment. Think about it. You're in an inflationary environment. You go buy a bottle of water or pack of cigarettes or whatever it may be, and it costs twice as much this year as it did last year. That banker suddenly needs more money to pay his mortgage. When that banker needs more money to pay his mortgage, that means he needs to earn more money to be able to do that. If he's in the mortgage business, the way he'll be able to earn more money is to go out and charge more interest, make more profit on each loan. And that trickles down to all the employees at the bank, all the people that service the loan. So they have no choice but to increase their profit margins in order to stay alive. Otherwise, banks get in trouble, right? Now, it's important to note that interest rates are not expected to stay high forever. Uh, they will eventually, hopefully, come down. But in recent, in recent weeks, I've been reading some articles on the Wall Street Journal and the barons that we're talking about the interest rates may stay high for a lot longer than what a lot of economists uh, seem to think. And, you know, you got to be careful when you're taking advice. I hate to say it this way, but you got to be careful when you're taking advice from some of these economists because they seem to be wrong a lot. It's the economists that work behind the scenes at the, and give advice to the chairmen the, the and the presidents of the, uh, the Federal Reserve. They're modeling and basically making estimates and forecasts that are data-driven, generally speaking. But there is a lot of opinion and historical fact that weighs into that. However, there's a ton of inaccuracy. And when these economists make a mistake, it hurts all of us. I guess there's no such thing as perfect, but it is what it is. Now, the, keeping in mind, the Federal Reserve has said, especially the chairman, Jerome Powell, has said on numerous occasions that they're going to continue to raise interest rates until inflation comes down. And remember, that target figure is around 2% inflation. I think last time I checked, we were at about 6%, 5 or 6% inflation. We were as high as 8% inflation. And what, guys, when I say percent inflation, I don't mean interest rate. I mean the, the rate of inflation percentage. Um, but when they, as they're starting to see the changes that they've made and the rapid adjustments they've made to the, as far as raising interest rates, they are starting to take effect. And that obviously, uh, it's slowing things down. But here's the thing, guys. Just because the percentage of inflation is reduced, that doesn't mean prices will go down. What do I mean by that? Let's use a bottle of water. Last year, a bottle of water was like a dollar fifty. To you go to the same convenience store today and you buy that bottle of water, let's say it costs two dollars. Well, if the rate of inflation is the percentage is the distance between one fifty and two dollars, you see. It, but what they don't tell you and what no people, a lot of people are missing is that doesn't mean that that bottle of water is suddenly going to go back to being $1.50. No, no. That just means when the price inflates, it's not going to inflate at the same pace. So here, using that same example, the bottle of water started at $1.50. 
it went to $2 in the last year. Now, at the same rate of inflation, that bottle of water would be around $250, $267 next year, correct? Well, no. This year, if inflation rate is reduced, the bottle of water would be, let's say, $2.20 instead of the $250, $267. So the rate of inflation is slowing, but not the fact its prices are still going to go up. So those of you that are sitting around going, I'm going to wait to do this. I'm going to wait to do that. If you're waiting for any other reason, great. But if you're waiting because you think the prices are going to go down, I think you're going to be sadly mistaken because of consumer goods, real estate, you name it. These things are going to continue to climb. Now, with that said, that doesn't mean that when you're buying things that are used or they're privately owned, you know, people in panic, people in peril, they make decisions to sell at a discount. That's where you can start to capitalize on this. Know this. Prices are going to continue to go up. I just said that. Prices are not going to go backwards. They're going to continue to climb. The real question is at what pace? Uh, hopefully, the pace will slow down. That would be ideal. But whether or not interest rates go up, down, sideways doesn't really matter. What matters is this has a big impact on consumers. Consumers own real estate. You want to buy real estate. So how do we make this happen? Well, geez, Tyler, I can't buy a home right now because the interest rates are too high. My answer is that depends. How are you going to use the home? How long do you plan on keeping the home? What's the seller's situation? I'm not asking you to go out and buy something off of Zillow and pay full retail, but if you can talk to the seller and you find out why are they selling, well, he's selling because, I don't know, um, his wife just died and, and she had a bunch of credit card debt that he's got to pay off or whatever it may be. So in that case, that guy's motivated because his credit card interest rate maybe was 12% last time he checked. And in the last two years, his interest rate is now 39%. That's a real thing, guys. Interest rates for credit cards have gone nuts. So if you're the type of person carrying a balance on your credit card, you may want to go look and see how much interest is being whacked right now, and you may be up for a rude awakening. So that's going to create a huge sense of urgency with people all over the country. A lot of those people own real estate. Real estate is, for a lot of folks, an easy way for them to dig themselves out of debt because they've built a lot of equity over the last decade or so, right? Housing prices have climbed exponentially over the last decade, and just about everybody has equity these days. So if you're a homeowner and you've got a ton of credit card debt, you could sell your home instead of borrowing because when people get sometimes too much in debt, I've been there, you get too much in debt, you're like, I'll never borrow money again. Those folks want to sell their homes. Your job is to find those people. How do you do that? You market effectively. You reach out. You learn how to write copy. With things like ChatGPT and uh, Bard and all the other tools out there, Claude, you don't have an excuse to not be able to know how to write copy anymore because you can just ask any one of these AI tools and it will put out nicely written letters, marketing, postcards, the whole nine yards. Richard Roop. Richard Roop's a friend of the podcast, friend of mine. Go back and listen to Richard Roop's episodes. He's got a free coaching program. It doesn't cost anything. Uh, go to Rupedia.com, I think it is, or go back to those previous episodes, or just go to the Cashflow Guys website, type in the word Roop, R-O-O-P, and he'll introduce you to all those tools for free. Now you go use the tools, start sending postcards, and you start finding motivated sellers. When you get to these motivated sellers, ask them, hey, do you have a mortgage on the property? But here's what I say, guys. One One big bonus tip right here. A lot of people find that as an intrusive question. So one of the ways that I I will 
plant that question to make sure I always get an answer is, hey, inst- I could go look it up on public record, but since I'm right here in front of you or we're on the phone, by chance, do you know about what your mortgage payoff is as intrusive just as a way of saying it? Most 99% of the time people say, oh, it's around, I don't know, 80,000, 200,000, whatever it may be. Very rarely does anybody not want to give me that information, especially when I tell them that I could go get it in the next five minutes. But I'm just curious if you have that information handy. Now, when you've talked to these sellers and you start to ask good questions, and I guys have been saying this now for 400 and some odd weeks, and you ask good questions, you're going to learn a lot about the seller's situation. Make sure that you craft your offers to best suit the seller's needs. Forget about your needs. Focus on your avatar. Focus on the person you're, you're working with. Hey, Mr. Seller, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with the proceeds? How exciting is that? You're going to have all this extra money. What are you going to do? Or is, are you just trying to get more on a predictable budget? Or is there a monthly payment bill that you're trying to account to get taken care of? All kinds of different things, reasons why people want to sell their homes. Maybe you don't even have to buy the home at a discount. Maybe you can pay a full whack, but the guy will give you terms. You know how it goes. It's either my price and your terms or your terms and my price. Have a conversation with these people. Figure out creative ways. Hell, SGPT, creative ways to get the information out of these people. Another great thing you can do is assume mortgages. By the way, maybe you guys missed those five episodes I talked to this about, but in a lot of mortgages, probably 60-70% of mortgages out there today can be assumed, and that's a fact. Now, with that said, there's rules that go along with that. For example, if it's a VA mortgage, which is the Veterans Administration, all VA loans are assumable. All VA mortgages are assumable. You can, there's two different ways it can be assumed. The first one, and this is usually on mortgages that have been out there a long time. So if you find one that's, a, a, there's a subable not qualify or non-qualifying. And what that means is you can assume the loan. You can show up, you fill out a little application, name, address, phone number. It's real easy. They don't require you to have a good credit rating, anything like that. No qualifying required, no income verification. You just take it over. You start getting the bill. Those are, they don't make those mortgages anymore. They stop doing those mortgages, but they're still out there in the ethos. And a lot of folks still have those. What you'll generally find, because those mortgages are from days gone past, the balances on them are very low. But Hey, who cares if the balance is low? See if you can assume it. That's less money you have to come in with. And if it's assumable non-qualifying, you can, you may even get the VA to subrogate, which means, or subordinate, I should say, which means step into second position. Don't say it's not possible. It is possible. You got to ask the question. Uh, the second thing is way of doing it with the VA is VA assumable qualifying, which means you do have to go through the qualification process. You got to have a, a credit app and make sure you're in good financial shape and you're not broke and you got a job and or a way to pay the bills and all that good stuff. Commercial mortgages. Most commercial mortgages are assumable. So think about that. Think about maybe instead of buying, if you're in the house, the single family house market, maybe you don't buy a single family house, maybe you buy three single family houses. And like I said earlier, and get a commercial loan. That's not anything new. Lots of folks over the years have consolidated their portfolio. What does that mean? Well, they had residential loans and for whatever reason, they decided maybe they wanted to leverage their portfolio into something else. So what they would do is they would go get a portfolio loan, which is often a commercially rated loan, which means it's assumable. They'll go get that uh portfolio loan and they'll go finance, I don't know, refinance six or seven houses into one mortgage. Makes it easy. It's only 20 years, whatever it may be. Who knows why they may have done it, but the fact is they did. That assumable loan or that loan is assumable 
because it's commercial. The only way it won't be assumable, guys and girls, is if there is specifically a clause in there to prevent it, okay? If there is what they call a do-on-sale clause, and you should read the do-on-sale clause because there still may be exemptions in there. I've read several of them that actually have exemptions. Do-on-sale unless, so read the note, okay? And you ask the seller, do you have a copy of the note? If not, ask them who the title company was. You can get a copy of the note. It's out there. It's recorded. Get a copy, or it's usually not recorded. I should say the more mortgage is recorded, the note is not. But get a copy of the note or track down the lender, get a copy of the note. It You can find it. Don't know how? Ask G- chat GPT and find out if the due on sale clause exists in the loan document. If the due on sale clause is not there, then there's a pretty darn good chance that you can go ahead and assume that and not have any problems at all. And that also makes, if you're going to do subject to the existing mortgage, makes subject to a lot safer because there's no, sub, no due on sale clause in there that'll be a gotcha. Now, I have heard situations where people have had a due on sale clause called due. It didn't, uh, it wasn't fun for them, but uh, they worked through it. But uh, if there's not a due on sale clause in there, then there's no chance in hell anybody's going to say due on sale because there's no clause in there to say it. And with that said, if you're going to do these subject twos, guys, the easiest way to stay out of hot water is to make sure you do what you say you're going to do. That means if you're going to assign a subject two, I would think twice about that. Unless you assign the contract, but let the new borrow new buyer take out a mortgage and satisfy that note. Don't and John Rexford told me this years ago, never get in a position to assign your honor. Your what I mean by your honor is you said you agreed in writing that you would go ahead and buy this home subject to the existing note. That, in essence, is telling the seller, hey, Mr. Seller, don't worry. I'm going to take care of this for you. I'm one of the good guys. I'm on I'm on the good team. And then you take that that honor, sense of honor, and you just hand it to a total stranger in exchange for money. You know, what if that total stranger drops the ball, stops paying the mortgage? It's dishonorable. It's just not good. Not how you do business. So guys, I hope you found some value in that. I hope you get out there and take some action. And Mike should be back with us next week. We'll see this week. He really wanted to be here, but he's doing an all-nighter, flying all night. So we had to tuck him in so he can get his night-night sleep and keep you guys safe out there in the friendly skies. So guys, we'll leave it right there. We hope we catch up with you or hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.